Amen. Get your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Now listen this morning. You need your Bible. Okay? Um, you need, you know, when you go into battle, you want to take your sword, right? Well, we've heard some encouraging songs about uh, the goodness of the Lord in the midst of the trial, in the midst of, of everything that can go on in life. And life can get crazy, right? If we are going to battle in this life, we have to have the tools to do so. And I want you to understand that one of the best tools, the greatest tool God's given us to live this life is His Word. When we come together, we're going to study His Word. And so get your Bible. You say, I don't have a Bible. I'll get you one. If you don't have a Bible, you come see me. I'll get you one. If you don't have a Bible and you got a smartphone, there's a thousand Bibles you can put on that smartphone. Bring your Bible. Matthew chapter 5. I want to talk to you this morning for just a little bit about pursuing perfection. Now, how many of you have ever made the statement, well, I'm not perfect. Ruthie's agreeing with me. Um... That's, that's a statement that, that's often used, and, and, and often it's used as an excuse. You know, I did something wrong, and therefore my excuse for doing something wrong is this. I'm not perfect, okay? Uh, now, I don't, I don't use that often, but you hear that often. Well, well, I made a mistake. I'm not perfect. But rather than that being an excuse in our lives, it really ought to be a fact of life that drives us toward God's goodness, God's greatness, God's expectations in our lives. What you find in Scripture is this, that God uh, it calls us, God sets us to pursue perfection. Now let's d define that in our lives. Because if we look around us, our world has, has concepts of perfection. You can check out at the grocery store, at Walmart, and there are magazines that tell you ladies what, how to look perfect or to tell us men how to be perfectly buffed. And I have already figured that one out. That's a lot. And so, we, all these, these concepts, you turn on the television and, and you can go to the Homey Garden Network and you can see how to have the perfect house and, and how to keep everything perfectly in order. And so, so we see all these images in our lives that, that, that we think they have everything going. Life must be perfect for them. But the reality, the reality is that, that we don't know the behind the scenes. We don't know the fights that husband and wife have when the TV camera's not rolling. We don't know which one of those children really did come from the devil. I mean, you know, life's not perfect. Yet we find in Scripture this this push of the Lord Jesus that, that our, our goal, our focus, our reach, our pursuit should be far greater than anything, any standard, any picture that this world gives us. And so our biblical truth today is this. Believers must pursue spiritual maturity in their everyday life and not yield to lesser expectations. Now, let's define perfect in Jesus' words. The word perfect means complete, mature, 
okay? So, so while we may not experience perfection, we will never be perfect this side of glory. What we can know is this, that our lives are to be about uh, growing in spiritual maturity, growing up in the ways of the Lord until the Lord gets ready to present us before His Father complete in Him. Well, let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew 5, verse 43. We, we often miss this, this statement of completion or perfection or maturity because we get bogged down in, in Jesus' initial statement. Look, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward? have you. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Listen to verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven now, what Jesus is saying here is important for us to understand uh, this concept of love. Now, the Old Testament, the old saying that Jesus was referencing to would take the Old Testament, which says uh, that you are to love God first, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave that as the first and greatest commandment. Well, what would happen is the Pharisees would twist that and would, would turn that and, and they would say, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. This concept of love, this is that unconditional agape is the Greek term, this, this uh, godly type of love that we're supposed to have to our neighbors. Now, who are our neighbors? We, our common understanding of neighbors is this, that, that, that person that lives next to us or just down the street from us, they are our neighbors. Jesus had a different idea. Jesus said, using the, the parable of the Samaritan, Anyone that we come into contact with that we can help and lift up is a neighbor to us. And so the broad concept of neighbor is this. Whoever you meet today is an opportunity for you to love your neighbor. Okay? Now let's branch it out. Okay? Branch it out. Not just the person that lives next to me. It, 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 it is expanded. And uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, friends for this. Well, uh, love your neighbor, he says, but, th but then there's this concept of hating your enemy. Now, how many of you have enemies? There's a few honest folks. Well, you know, I ask this question myself. Do I have any enemies? And when I ask myself that question, I always, I, I look at it from this perspective. Is there anyone in my life that I'd just like to take outside and with? Or is there anyone that I, I just would I just wish evil against. Those might be my enemies. But the reality here in context is Jesus is not talking about just those people that we don't like. Jesus is really talking in context of enemies, those people that don't 
like us. Now, when I ask myself if I have any enemies with that in mind, guess what? I can name a few. Matter of fact, if I wanted to, I could do like Mallory and call some names. Uh, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. People that maybe I've offended or people that I've made angry or I've said something that just didn't sit well with them and, and they'd like to take me outside. I had a church member one time. Uh, she walked up in my office. I was sitting at my desk. She put her fist down on my desk and she pointed her finger at me and said, I have a right mind to take you outside and just punch you in the face. That's several years ago. Today, I'd probably walk outside and let her do it. Just to see if she would. But, hey, there are people that are enemies. And you know what the Scripture says? Scripture says this, that those people that hate us, even those that despise us, those that would persecute us, those that would talk ugly about us, Jesus said, we're not supposed to hate them. We're supposed to love our enemies. He takes this old concept and he throws it out and says, this is the truth. This is the heart of God toward your life, toward this concept of love, toward your, your enemies. He says this, love your enemies. Now, look, look at that. that. That's something that's not natural. It's natural that when we have enemies, when we have someone talking smack about us or, or really talking down toward us, slandering us, that, that our natural reaction is what? We'll get back at them. We're going we're gonna to throw them down. We're going to get in their faces and we're going to have the last word. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Period. That's not optional. It's not natural. But the reality is, it is the call of God. It's the supernatural love of Christ that has been so given to us that we in turn can give, show toward others. That's the new. Love your enemies. Look, it's not an emotional love. It's a choice you make to demonstrate love toward others. How are we going to do that? Jesus gives them some house here. He says, number one, bless them. Bless them. Now that word blessed means it, it, it comes to eulogy. That is to say something good about them. How many of you, when you hear, well, so-and-so said this about you, how many of you go, well, let me tell you how sweet they are? Without sarcasm. No, that, that's not normal. What Jesus says here, speak well of them. Even when they throw bad or slanderous words at you, you speak well of them. Let your character defend you. Maybe that's the problem. That our character is not set up in personal defense. You speak well of them because you don't have to have their approval. You don't have to, because of the character you have, people already know your position. He says, bless them. He says, do good to them. Do good to them. That is that you prove your love. You prove that you love Jesus. You prove that you love others. And by the way, that you show your love to those that would, would, would tear you down. Bend over backwards to show them love. Do, do the abnormal. Because God has not called us to live a common life. He's called us to live an uncommon life serving a supernatural God. He says, pray for them. Pray for them. Now, we it's easy for us to pray, God, they hurt my feelings. Would you 
would you take care of them? Anybody ever prayed that? And nobody going to admit that in here, are they? Did you raise your hand? Thank you for being honest. Thanks for being honest. We, no, it's not pray that God would, would chastise them or just take them out in the woodshed. It's, it's to pray for God's goodness and God's blessing on them. To lift them to the Lord. To, to, to say uh, to them, to, to God about them, Lord, they need Your blessing and they need Your love. And Lord, help me to show them Your love. Talk to God about them. Talk seriously to God about them. Trust Him with the outcome. And then trust and live faithfully to Him. And follow. Two things happen when you pray for your enemies. Number one, God changes their heart. Y'all know what number two is? He changes you. Can I say to you this morning that it is quite possible that the first change that needs to occur in your relationship is not with them, it's with you. So pray. Pray for them. He, he lays it out there. It's not about love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's love your enemies. It's love, love, love. Why? Because you're children of God. Verse 46, he says, uh, For if you love those, or actually, um, back up verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. This is not so that you can be saved, so that you can become a child of God. It's to say because you already are a child of God, what happens when you choose to show kindness and love toward your enemies is this. You validate your claim and people see God's love in you. Because ultimately you, why? Because you're called to a bigger life than this world could ever imagine. You are called to a bigger life than this world could ever imagine. You think about the Gospel, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see what Jesus does? Jesus didn't just teach it by mouth. He taught it by life. The Bible says that when He went to the cross, or the Bible says actually about all of us who are in sin that we are enemies of Christ. We are dead in trespasses and sin, or we are enemies. But while we were yet enemies with Christ, Romans 5.8 says, He died for us. The very act of love He displayed on the cross is this, that while, while the world was against Him, not just those Pharisees that condemned Him to die, not just those Roman soldiers that, that put the crown of thorns on His head and drove the nails in His feet and hands, not just those that mocked and spit on Him, but everyone who has sinned against God is an enemy. And in that moment, Christ looks upon His enemies and says, I love you with my life. And He gave it there. That is the ultimate act of goodness. Of love. For enemies. So Christ says this. Don't you hate your enemies. Don't hate anybody. Love your neighbor and love your enemies too. Those things are hard to swallow sometimes. But that's the call of God on our lives. Now, now let, me, let me get back to this big picture. Because as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen some incredible teachings. 
we've seen some pretty difficult teachings in this chapter. He says, don't think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. He, he gives all these, these old things. Don't, you've heard, don't commit adultery, but I say to you. You've heard, don't commit murder, but I say to you. He, he gives all of these things that naturally we will pursue. And then he says this, Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, He gives all of these things that, that are beyond our reach. He does not call us. He does not call us to a common life. Okay? I know I've already said that this morning. Preacher, you're repeating yourself because I think you need to hear it. He does not call us just to exist and to pursue everything this world has to offer while claiming the name of Christ on our bumper sticker. He calls us to rise above the common life and to pursue Him with everything. To pursue spiritual maturity. To pursue life in Him. The truth of this passage, the truth of this chapter is this, the believers must run after, that is fight for, pursue spiritual maturity every day and make no excuses for lowering expectations. You know what I see in the church today? You know what I see in our lives today? You know what I see in, in us? It's a see that we are constantly lowering the expectations that we think God has for us, and never in a million years does He lower the expectations so that we feel better about ourselves. He has always had a high expectation. He has always had this, this great expectation that you cannot accomplish on your own. I cannot accomplish on my own. That's why we need grace. That's why we need Jesus. And so He sets these high expectations. And He says, Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. Now, here's your little bit of an English lesson. Okay? That word shall be. you know the difference in will be and shall be? If I tell you I will do something, I might forget. Right, Miss Linda? I might. The word shall, as given in the King James Bible and here in the New King James, that word holds way more weight than an empty will. That word shall be is a sense of certainty. There is no doubt that this will come to pass. And so what Jesus is calling us to do is this. He's calling us to get out of our ability and to pursue Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And as we walk by faith in Him, all of a sudden He begins to shape us and He begins to put us together and He begins to grow us in maturity. He begins to, to do things in us that we can never think or imagine. Why? Because He's God and He can do all things in us because He is our strength. Look, 
Spiritual maturity does not happen by accident. It doesn't. But there's a personal responsibility about it. You. Whether you're 8 years old or 88 years old, 48 years old, you have a personal responsibility to seek Christ. Parents, listen to me. You have a parental responsibility to seek Christ. You have a parental responsibility for your children to lead them to Christ. Personal responsibility. Parental responsibility. That's what I want to say to you. Your responsibility as a parent in leading your children to Christ does not end when they pray a prayer and are baptized. Hear me. Far too many of us look at the spiritual lives of our children and think they're going to heaven when they die. Let's just go play all we can while they're still here. Their spiritual lives, their spiritual maturity depends on you, parents, to live before them. Pork chop doesn't have enough hours with your kids to bring them to spiritual maturity. I don't have enough time to bring them to spiritual maturity. If you're depending on the school to bring them to spiritual maturity, heaven help them. Listen this morning. There's a parental responsibility. One day I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to have to answer for me. But there are also five children that I'll answer for. Did I tell them about Jesus? Did I lead them to Jesus? Did I help them see Jesus? There's a parental responsibility. For your kids. And it's good to play with your kids. Don't get me wrong. It's good to have fun. I love to have fun. But sometimes we've got to stop. To focus on their spiritual lives. To lead them to Jesus. Spiritual maturity does not happen by accident. I thought about this little illustration. I'm going to close with this. We, uh, we have a basket in our home of building blocks. Anybody else have those? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Occasionally, Chandler and Waverly will pull those blocks out and they'll, they'll begin to make a mess. I know y'all know about that. They'll, they'll build, and, and it's happened on more than one occasion that Waverly has built something pretty cool with those building blocks. And I'll hear from the back of the house who say, Daddy, come look! Daddy, come look! And before I get there, I hear that Tornado Chandler runs through. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
pretty bad. And she goes right back to building. Our lives are a lot like that. We 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 try sometimes. These spiritual disciplines we talk about of prayer and reading God's word and fasting and all these things, they're not the end, they're means to the end. But sometimes we make a decision on Sunday morning before we before we leave, we say, well, I'm going to do better for Jesus. I'm going to do better for Jesus. And then we get out into the world and the world happens and we, we face this struggle and that struggle. And all of a sudden there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because everything's falling apart. Do you know how I could solve Waverly's problem? I could go out to the garage and I could get me a box of screws and my little drill I could go in there with Waverly, and I could sit down, and as she builds her house, her creation, I could attach it with a screw. I could attach it with a lot of screws. And, and when her creation is done, because of the work I've put in with her, I could keep Tornado Chandler from happening. Y'all see what I'm saying? I could help preserve that effort, that work she's put into. Listen this morning. This thing, this perfection that God desires of us is never something we achieve on our own. It's not about all the time we put into it and all the specific details. It's about when we surrender our lives to Him and when we pursue Him with all of our heart, He comes alongside us and He begins to anchor those pieces together. And when He anchors those pieces together, then all of a sudden the tornadoes of life that come against us, he, the, the thing that He has created withstands the wind withstands the force, withstands the pressure of this life. Because He builds in us the maturity that He desires. And we begin to trust Him. If we think about this, we've got to recognize God's expectation for us is this, that we grow up. Not on our own. Only, only as we allow Him the freedom to build in us who He desires us to be. That begins not when you love your neighbor more. That's an offshoot. That's something that happens when you love Jesus. It begins when you fall on your face before Him. God, I'm not perfect. I'm nowhere near perfect. But you've got a plan for me, and you've got a way that you're going to bring maturity and completeness in my life. And right here today, God, I'm going to lay it all down and trust you. Lost person. 
it begins when you trust Christ as Savior. If you don't know Christ as Savior this morning, if you don't know Him, there is no spiritual maturity because you're dead. That's what the Word says. You're spiritually dead. But this morning, if the Lord is moving in your heart, if, this, if you want to know Christ as Savior, in this incredible moment, you can believe and repent and be saved. You've got to be ready to surrender your life to Him. Now's the time. Father, we come to this time of invitation. Lord, hearts and minds are focused on You. Lord, for some of us, some in this room, they don't know you as Savior. And what they need more than anything today is their sins forgiven and, and, and to experience life in you. I pray that right now, they would believe and trust you. Lord, they would be willing to take a step of faith to know more about you. Lord, they would come to know you here today. Lord, for many of us, our blocks are scattered all over the floor. We've tried, we've gotten discouraged, we've gotten disgusted. And Lord, some have given up. Father, would you restore them today to the expectation that you have for them? And Lord, would you begin to put the pieces back together? They right here today surrender to you. Lord, we'll glorify your name.